This morning, me and Jamie want to talk to you a little bit about uh, what it means to have a DNA change. Um, about just over a month ago, Mohammed Naku uh, came to our church, and for those of you who don't know, he's a guy, he's a friend of ours, um, and he's brought a number of prophetic words to us in the past, uh, words from God about our direction, and he said to us, God is changing our DNA. So that's Mohammed up there, and... Um, this was the, the main point that he said in his word, but there are a number of, of subpoints to it which I think are going to appear. There we go. So he said, God is changing our DNA, and what he's doing is he's giving us a kingly culture. Uh, he's restoring to us a kingly culture, and that this is going to be something we'll be recognized for. So that was the first point. The second point was that God is going to restore to us uh, righteous rule. The third point was that God is going to give us a spirit of revelation. The spirit of revelation is going to flow through us as a church. And finally, uh, that there's going to be a spirit of generosity in us as a church. And that these things will begin to characterize who we are and what we do. So me and Jamie really want to unpack this a little bit this morning and talk to you guys about what we think it means to change our DNA, how our DNA changed, um, and what we can expect There's two main things we really want to do this morning. The first thing is to talk about when we receive a word from God like this, a prophetic word, what do we do with it? What's our response? What's God's intention in bringing us a word like this? So that's the first point we want to look at. The second point is we want to unpack the word a little bit. Um, Now, as you can see, there are four points to it. We want to really focus on the first one. We want to focus on this point of the kingly culture because we believe there's quite a lot of exciting things that God has for us in this concept of a kingly culture and what it means uh, to live in a culture of the kingdom. So those are the points we're going to cover. Uh, James is going to start off by talking about how do we receive a word from God. Do I need to give you... Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So automatically my first response when I sat down to to Jeremy was like, all right, so what do we need to do then? And Jeremy said, well, that's, that's the thing. that I think the first thing we need to do is not think about doing anything. And, um, and so I was left with the question, how do we respond to a word like this? And th- this is how we should respond to a word like this. <laughs> like that. Or like that. <laughs> and that's... If, if we begin to think that God is changing our DNA, it's, it can only be good. And so, I think this song might symbolise it a little bit. Back in the 90s. I think that was a 90s song. (laughs) Things can only get better. If God is doing it, if God has chosen to do something in our lives, it's only going to make things better. It's going to make us better. It's going to make us more like him. And um, sometimes change can be quite scary. And we think, oh, oh, changing our DNA. What was wrong with the last bit? And will it it be any better, the next bit? But God's the author, so it's only going to get better. 
The truth is, I am corrupt, and I do need God to get me, take, take me from glory to glory, but that's his, his work, his promise. He's going to take me to that place of glory. And if you think of some of the amazing things that we've been hearing people share recently, it's incredible what God's already done with this community and the stories that we hear. So if he's changing our DNA, only going to get better, only going to be even better than that. And the foundational thing, fundamental thing, God loves you. God loves you, and if he's going to do anything in you, it's only to make you better. The second thing that stuck out to me in terms of how do we respond is the fact that he, he's doing it. This is a, a, an image of a uh, self-driving car. Google's developed a bunch and some other people developed these cars that you just sit in and it steers itself. And um, sometimes I'm very good at sitting in the, in, in the car that God's given to me, grabbing the steering wheel and trying to, trying to drive it for myself. But the idea is I'm going to do it. I'm changing your DNA. Don't make your, your seven-point steps to, to, to get there. I'm doing it. And so, therefore, the, the kind of word to us is, it's not by self-effort. The, the message is, enjoy the ride. <laughs> we enjoy the ride by saying, oh, this is what you said you were going to do. This is, this is the good stuff. Wow, what are you going to do in me next? There's things in my life I think, oh gosh, I, I really do find myself very irritating. I feel sorry for anyone else that's got to spend time with me. But when I think, but I didn't do that this week, and I might not do it next week. God's changing me, and I get to witness what he's doing in me. The third thing it makes me think of, our, our role is to, to welcome in that, that change, just to be on the lookout for it with a kind of excited expectation. I heard um, this, this uh, idea that hope is the thing that gets us off of the couch, onto the porch, so we can, we can see what, what's coming. And that's the kind of thing that when God gives us a word, it kind of gets us up, like, I want to be looking out for this now, because I want to be part of a, of a welcoming party. And here's an idea of a welcoming party. Those bears know every year at that time something good's going to happen. Their dinner's going to... Yeah. <laughs> going to come to them. And um, God's bringing something to us. And so we, we get to be on the lookout. I remember um, being part of a Richard Cole welcoming party. Do you, who else went to meet him at Stansted Airport once? There was a few of us. So I think it was after a particularly traumatic time. Was that the time that he managed to get into the country without a passport? How he did what he did, it was incredible. I remember my dad trying to tell him off, uh, why, why are you coming without your passport? Because sometimes, you know, he came across like he wasn't very organised. Um, the fact was he'd just been attacked uh, and so only just managed to flee to the airport. And so that's why we kind of let him off and not having a passport. And seemingly the British government also let him off. But we wanted to celebrate his arrival. Now, we knew that he was coming. You know, as soon as the plane takes off, it's going to have to land. It, there's an inevitability of him coming. But we got to be there. And when, when he was coming through, we got to welcome the guests. We got to be part of the celebration 
we got to be thankful. We actually made a big, loud ruckus. Ruckus. We were we were raucous, and we made a ruckus. We sang. We sang. We, we said, uh, God is good all the time was our, was our song, because that was his catchphrase, as he came, came out into the arrivals lounge and everyone was stopping and staring at us. But that was such a celebration, because we knew he was coming, but we wanted to be there to welcome him in. Welcome him in. All right, Jim, you're going to do this point. Smooth transition. Don't draw attention to it. So the final um, point that we wanted to make about what do we do with this word is that it's good to ask what you've got for what you've got coming to you. Um, there's a story in the Bible which stuck out, stuck out to me, um, and it's about King David. Um, and he's someone who, like us, received a word from God. Um, and so his word was, God said to him, that I am going to make you a house. So I'm going to give you a kingdom. Your generations are going to rule, and this will be your house. So this is quite a significant word that God gave to him. Um, but I'm interested by David's reaction. The first thing that he did upon receiving this word was to run back into God's presence and sit at his feet and talk to him about it. Um, essentially, David went and prayed to God, prayed this long prayer where he basically said, God, thank you for this word. Um, now that you've given this word to me, I have boldness to come before you and to ask for you to bring it about, which seems a bit strange because often we think if God has spoken something to us, then it's going to happen anyway, which is kind of true. But I think God also wants us to come back to him and say, God, do this thing that you've said, bring it about. Um, Because I think one of the main reasons God speaks to us in this way is to actually draw us into relationship with him, to draw us into closer relationship with him. It's not just to let us know what he's up to. It's not to keep us in the loop with his plans, because he doesn't really need to do that. He's God. He could just do everything he wants to do and not even tell us about it. But he wants us to have that joy of knowing it. He wants us to have that joy of knowing him, coming to him in relationship. So I think one of the main things we've got to do is go and sit at his feet and chat to him about about it and talk to him about it. So partly what we're looking at this morning... Um, it's part of this process of chatting to God about the word, talking to him about it, discussing it, and thinking, what could happen through this? God, bring about what you said. Um, so now we're going to take some time to delve into the word itself and have a look at kingly culture. Um, that's a very scary picture. Uh, so yeah, I think really when I, I think of this idea of a kingly culture and God restoring to us a kingly culture, bringing us to this, this place of living um, in the culture of the kingdom. I think he's, he's really restoring to us the thing that he designed us to be in the first place. Um, so when God created us and, and he created man, I believe that it was this kingly culture that he gave us. Um, I want to look right at the, the beginning of the Bible in Genesis 1 because it talks about what things were like when God first made humanity. Um, and in Genesis 1.26, God says, let us make humankind in our image according to our likeness and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the air and over the cattle and over all the wild animals of the earth and over every creeping thing that creeps upon the earth. So that's quite, a, quite an impressive thing to say. Let them have dominion over everything in the earth. So I believe right at this point in creation, God gave us dominion over everything. And this is something of the kingly culture that he designed us to have. 
Um, this word dominion is an interesting word. It, it kind of means to reign, to rule, uh, to prevail over. It's a word that carries a weight of authority. Um, and this was God's perfect situation for us, this perfect state of affairs, that we were his children, his created beings, and we were ruling over his creation. We were having dominion um, over his creation. That was the way he set things up. So I want to illustrate a little bit of what that's like. So if I could have my king quickly. So Bill is going to be our king. So there's your crown. Hopefully it will stay on your head. And here's your scepter. Um, So Bill is our king, and he is sitting on his throne. And so let's imagine that this entire room is Bill's kingdom. Okay? Um, Now, Bill has a son. So if Bill's son could please stand up. So this is Bill's son, Jamie. And uh, Bill, I want you to uh, give Jamie authority over your kingdom. So if you could do that... (laughs) So now, Jamie, Bill's son, has authority over this kingdom. So really, as long as Bill is on the throne, as long as he's king, anything that Jamie says goes, because he carries that delegated authority of the king. So um, if someone is being a bit noisy uh, in the... So if someone's being a bit noisy, Jamie can tell that person to be quiet. And it happens, because he has authority. Um, if someone's being a bit unruly and uh, misbehaving. <laughs> and uh, order is restored in the kingdom. Um, the unruly person has been asked to leave. So, thanks guys, that's, that's cool. Very simple illustration, but the point I really wanted to demonstrate with that was that Bill had given the authority to his son. And so when Jamie wanted to exercise that authority, he didn't have to go back to Bill and say, do you want me to do this? Can can I do this? Because Bill had already trusted him with that authority. If he didn't trust Jamie to do his work, he wouldn't have given him the authority in the first place. But he trusted him to carry out his will on the earth and to do the things that he wanted him to do. And I think that's a bit like God with us. When he created us as his children, he trusted us with that authority and gave us dominion over everything. And that was the beginning point. That was how things started off. But things didn't stay like that um, because Adam and Eve were deceived by the enemy and they sinned. And when they sinned, that authority that they'd been given by God was actually handed over to the enemy. Um, So they no longer had this authority. Um, And actually, they, they became slaves The way Paul describes it when he's writing to the Romans, he says we were slaves to sin. Um, So sin actually had dominion over us. We were slaves to it, and we couldn't exercise this authority that we were meant to have. Um, So things changed quite drastically. So when I think of this idea of God restoring a kingly culture to us as a church, really, I think it's about the journey uh, of us being led from slavery to rulership. Um, I think it's that restoration of that awareness of our kingly authority uh, delegated from from our father. Um, There's a story in the the Bible that I think illustrates this particularly well. It's the story of Moses. 
Um, and I'm going to give a very, very quick summary of the story because we don't have a lot of time and we probably know the main points of it already. But this story I find very powerful because it shows very vividly what it means to be led from a culture of slavery uh, into a culture of, of rulership. Um, the culture of slavery is actually the opposite of a kingly culture. And when you read the start of Exodus and you read the situation that the Israelites were in, it paints a very vivid picture of how far things had fallen um, since the Garden of Eden. So it says, The Egyptians became ruthless in imposing tasks on the Israelites and made their lives bitter with hard service in mortar and brick and every kind of field labor. They were ruthless in all the tasks that they imposed on them. I mean, look how far things have, things have fallen um, since the Garden of Eden, since that dominion and authority we were designed to have. Um, I think that paints a very vivid picture of the power of sin and the, the, the effect that it had on, on our position before God. But essentially, the Israelites cried out to God in their distress. They cried out to God in their slavery. And God began enacting a plan to lead them from slavery back to a position of rulership. Um, and the way that he did it, I find very interesting. When God does something, his favorite way of doing it um, is by using his children. And, and so the Israelites, they cry out to God. They say, God, please deliver us from this from this slavery, and he raises up a baby, which to me is quite an interesting way of doing things. Moses is born, and God begins leading Moses on a, uh, a journey uh, to learn how to be a deliver, deliverer of his people. Um, and this starts when Moses is put in a basket and sent along the river Nile uh, to escape death at the hands of the Egyptians, because the Pharaoh had said, I want all firstborn males in Egypt uh, of the Israelites to be killed. So Moses escapes that, and he ends up in the palace of Pharaoh. And I believe that what God was doing at this point was God was giving Moses a taste of a kingly culture. Um, All of the Israelites had known nothing other than slavery. For 400 years, uh, generation after generation of Israelites had been in slavery, and they knew nothing different to it. But Moses was having a taste of something greater. He was having a taste of a culture where he had some measure of authority. He knew what it was like to enjoy that different standard of living. And... um, if we fast forward a bit, uh, there are many things that happen. But Moses ends up leaving Egypt and living in the desert for a while. This is all part of his training. He's a shepherd. Um, and God commissions him through a burning bush, sends him back to Egypt, and, and tells him to tell Pharaoh to let the people of Israel go because God has a promised land for these people. And it takes a long time for this to happen. Um, and at this point, God steps in and performs all these mighty wonders uh, all the different plagues that we know about, um, and leads the Israelites out of Egypt, um, weakens Pharaoh's resistance. Um, But really, the story doesn't end there, um, because the Israelites are still in slavery. A lot of them are still in slavery in their mind. As I've said, they knew nothing other than slavery. Um, And a lot of them weren't ready to, to inherit that promised land. They weren't ready to step into what God had for them. They wanted to go back to Egypt. They were complaining Um, they didn't have faith that God really wanted to lead them to something better. I believe that it was that taste of something greater that God had given Moses that positioned him to lead them into that promised land. And so if we fast forward even more, um, eventually the Israelites enter the promised land and God establishes them, allows them to set down roots. And over hundreds of years, he establishes a kingdom. And the Israelites actually become a kingdom. And if you look at the reigns of kings like David and Solomon, at this point in history... Israel becomes actually one of the most powerful, wealthy nations on earth. Uh, They're the nation that everyone else comes to for wisdom, uh, for resources. 
And when you look at this journey that the Israelites have taken, for me that very vividly illustrates the journey from slavery to sin and, and the journey to rulership. And I believe that that's the same thing that God has for us. Because when God sent his son Jesus and, and Jesus died and rose again, um, God basically paid the price for the sin that we, we committed and restored to us uh, that authority. When Jesus rose again, he said to his disciples, all authority in heaven and earth has been given to me. And so through Jesus, because he is in us, we can experience that same authority, that same dominion. Um, Paul says in Romans, um, he says, those who receive the abundance of grace and the free gift of righteousness exercise dominion in life through the one man, Jesus Christ. So again, we have this word dominion. Um, We had it in the Garden of Eden. It was lost. We became slaves. But then once again, we have dominion restored through Jesus Christ. God wants to bring us back to this position of dominion, this position of authority. Um, This this journey, this this story of slavery to freedom is of particular significance to me um, because when I look at my life, I realize that God led me very much from from slavery into freedom. Um, Many of you will know that for a number of years I experienced quite quite severe anxiety, a bit like what Jill was describing earlier. Um, I also had OCD, um, and it would come in the form of lots of fears which would dictate my life, uh, lots of anxiety. And I truly, I was not a free person. I was a slave to these fears. They prevented me from doing what I wanted to do, certainly prevented me from doing what I knew God wanted me to do. And I was a slave. You know, to give a few examples, I couldn't really read properly. Um, every time I try and read a book, I'd get stuck on like a particular sentence and have to read it again and again and again. So I just wouldn't progress through, through a book. And so I, I basically gave up reading altogether. Um, and actually, in, in that moment, I, I couldn't read God's word, which was, would have been a source of life for me. Um, and it was, it was a desperate situation. It was very, very difficult. I found it hard to study. Um, I found it hard to enjoy the things that I wanted to do. And I was very much a slave, but God wanted to lead me on a journey to freedom. And a bit like the Israelites, it wasn't an instant thing. It didn't happen overnight. Uh, but he led me on a journey, and he taught me a number of things. Um, and I love declaring that. I love declaring the fact that God led me from slavery to something which... I mean, medical professionals would say that once, once you've got this, this disorder, uh, you pretty much got it for life. Like, you can't really expect to, to recover from it. You can accommodate it, you can kind of get used to it, find ways around it, but really, it's for life. Like, you've got to live with it. But that, that wasn't the case. God has led me to freedom. Um, and so I'm, I'm happy about that. I love, I love declaring that, but... I've learned that whenever God sets us free from something, it's never just for our own benefit. Um, and that was the case with me. When God set me free from this intense anxiety, this intense fear, I knew that he was positioning me to also see other people led to freedom. Um, and this was interesting. I didn't expect it to happen in quite the way it did. Uh, but during the period that I was experiencing, tasting freedom from this, this anxiety, uh, my brother Toby... I have two brothers, and Toby's my middle brother, um, became hit with, with intense anxiety himself. And it was a very... It kind of came out of the blue. We weren't expecting it. Um, it was a very distressing time for me and my family. 
And we made a commitment. We were going to stand with him on it, and we prayed, we contended, and Jamie played a big part in that process. And when I was talking to Jamie about um, this morning and, and how we might describe this idea of a kingly culture, Toby's story really came to our minds as, as a significant time because we both believed that during that time, God instilled in us something of this, this kingly authority. He gave us a taste of what it means to, to exercise this authority and this dominion. And we want to talk about that a little bit now. Um, but Toby was in this very dark place. Um, he was extremely anxious. It felt like there was nothing we could do. But I knew that God had led me myself uh, from slavery. I knew the things he taught me. I knew the, the life that he'd given me. And so I was confident that, that I could bring God's word to Toby and be a part of his restoration. And actually, we saw an amazing journey of restoration for Toby. And the whole process culminated in uh, this Sunday morning meeting when me and my family and Toby were going to give thanks in front of all of you. It has become known as Simmons Sunday. Um, but it was, it was this moment when, you know, it was a long time coming. We were preparing for it a long time, thinking, what are we going to say? We wanted to give thanks for this restoration that he brought for me and for Toby. And it was going to be a significant time. We were looking forward to it. But I want to tell a story um, about something that happened on the weekend of this testimony. Um, and, yeah, it's, it's an interesting one. I mean, Toby was in university at the time, and he was due to be coming home that weekend uh, to give his testimony with us um, in front of you guys. And so he came home on the Friday night, um, and we were going to spend the Saturday planning and talking about what we were going to do, and the Sunday morning we were going to give our testimony, and, and that was the plan. But on the Friday night, I had a dream, and it was, a, it was an interesting dream. It sounds a bit weird, so, so bear with me. But basically, I was walking through a field of wheat in this dream. And it was one of those dreams where I was me in the dream. I kind of knew I was representing Toby, if that makes sense. Like, I knew that I was Toby in the dream. And as I was walking through this field, a swarm of flying insects, I don't know if they're bees or flies, but some kind of insect like that just encircled around me and basically just brought on this intense fear, this intense panic. I felt out of control. Um, this swarm of kind of creatures just buzzing around. There was nothing I could do, and I was petrified. But I looked to the side, and about 10 metres away from me was Peter, my youngest brother. Um, And he was looking at me in this distress, and the look on his face was not one of fear. He was actually intensely peaceful, intensely calm. And he looked at the bees and said, almost in a humorous way, oh, that, that, that's nothing. That's just the panther, which, okay, sounds, sounds weird. But at this point in the dream, the bees left me and merged into the form of a panther. Um, oh, we've missed out some slides. There's the panther. Um, so the bees become the form of a panther, and the panther kind of skulks away through the, uh, through the wheat and just can't do anything. Basically, it's powerless to do anything, and it just kind of skulks away and leaves us. Um, and so I woke up the next morning and was like, wow, that was, that was interesting. I couldn't get it out of my mind. Um, I've since kind of learned that actually a lot of dreams have significance. But at the time, I wasn't thinking that. I was just thinking that's, that's a weird picture. Um, and so we got on with the stuff we had planned that day. We talked about what we were going to uh, look at on the Sunday. Um, and then we sat down to dinner that night. And Toby basically revealed at this point that he was still struggling very much with anxiety, and he became very distressed and, and emotional as he, he described his, 
his struggles, he basically said, I'm here to give thanks, uh, but I don't feel I can because the journey is not over. It's still incredibly bad. I, you know, I'm still a captive. I still can't, I can't do this. And my immediate reaction was one of fear. I was like, ah, what, what does this do? This throws the whole thing into question. Should we get up tomorrow morning and give our testimony if this is the case? But then I remember the dream, and I shared it with my family, and we really believed that it was a word from God, that actually something that looks so oppressive, so scary, so fearful, could be just an illusion. Um, and that actually, if we named it for what it was, if we took authority and said, no, that's nothing, just as Peter did, completely calm, um, that actually the thing could be broken. And so that's what we did. That evening, we uh, took authority. We stood around Tobin. We declared God's truth over him. And we basically saw a change in that situation. And we did give our testimony the following day, and it was very significant. And actually, when I look back on that Sunday, um, often you think of giving testimony as being either at the end point of, of the story or, if not at the very end, just getting towards the end. I see it as almost the beginning of the story for me and Toby. And the stuff that God did for me and for him after that was just incredible. Um, But I won't go into it now. But I just believe that in that moment, God gave me a taste of of something more. He gave me a taste of what it means to live in a kingly culture. Being able to see something that looks very scary, very oppressive, and say, no, that's not right. That's not a part of the kingdom. Let's take authority over this. Uh, Jamie's got another really good story also about Toby, so I'll hand you over to him. just going to show you a, a video clip from a movie called Divergent, um, and then I'm going to explain the relevance of that. So, I have another story involving Toby, um, and we couldn't quite work out the chronology of it, but it doesn't, doesn't really matter, but there was a, there was a point where um, Dave uh, texted me while I was at work to say, things have got really bad with Toby, the level of anxiety is just, is, is really beating him up. And um, so, I just in that moment, I thought, We've seen so much breakthrough for Toby. No, I'm not having this. This is not, this is not okay. This is not acceptable. And um, I, I went in. <laughs> I got my little Tupperware pot of oil. I didn't know if it was meant to be holy oil or, or whatever. And took it over to the Simmons' house and walked in to find... Um, to see uh, Toby in there. Excuse me. Um, to see him in a, a real state of despair, and it was, he was 
sitting in the chair and he had his hands on his head and he was really sunk low and it was like you could see a dark cloud just, just over him and the rest of the family were praying in tongues and really praying for him and it was like walking into a, a, a real battle zone and it, it's not happened much for me but in that situation I stood there and I looked at it and I thought this is not real because what the enemy is seeking to do right now is to convince us that every, all the change for Toby was, was not real. And it, it, had, it had all been undermined and it had all been lost. And that was the, the, the battle line where I knew God was saying, that's, that's not the truth. I have won the victory. The enemy's trying to camp out on, on my land and it's unacceptable. And so I was able in that point just to declare what God enabled me to see. And it was like that situation of just tapping the glass. This is the truth. That, this right here is not real. This is not real. And we just saw God break through. And then Toby was able to, to stand in that moment and declare, <coughs> um, declare the freedom that God had actually got, got for him. And, he, and it was just like that, that picture that Jeremy had in his dream of just suddenly once the enemy has been called out for who he is, he sulks off. There's nothing he can do because it, he's, it's based on illusion. Um, I was talking to PJ earlier this week because um, there is a lot of pressure on, on, on him in terms of what he's been doing with the work in, in Sierra Leone and speaking to people that are really fearful. And it's very understandable that they're, they're fearful. But he said there was one point where he just got caught by the panic and he was starting to spiral down of if this person catches it, then this person will catch it, and then it will sweep through all of these people. And in that moment, he stepped into the side office and opened his Bible and poured himself out to God. God, this is, this is how it seems. And in that moment, God met with him, and he tapped on that glass and said, this is not more powerful than you. Nothing happens without your authority. And it... it it crushed, it crashed, it snapped, it smashed in that moment. does not mean that there's not really a disease out there, but its power over God's will is the illusion. And what we're talking about with kingdom culture, that, that shouldn't be a one-off, where, where I'm able to step into that, that room and see Toby like that and think, no, this is a lie, and we've got victory over this. And that... That's one of the things, like, we're just trying to give you a bit of an appetizer of what, what is changing the DNA. And one of the things that we picked out from kingly culture is living in that delegated authority of God, where we can just point out and say, no, that's not so. That's a lie. That's illegitimate. That's got no, no right to be here. And we can see things change. And to be honest, I'm excited about that. That little, that little kid, like, yes, I want to live in that. And if that's what God's promising, where do I sign up? Where, where do I stand? Where do I get that? Because we could be that people. That's what God's got for us. And it's not, if the plane's already taken off, it's going to land. He's going to, just like Richard Cole walked through, we knew he was here. God's going to bring this change in us and we can celebrate it instead of, oh my goodness, what the seven steps I've got to do there. God's going to do it. And that's great. Did you want to say anything? Should I just finish it off?
what is the I actually remember. Um, do you want to put it up? Oh, right. Um, so yeah, I think, yeah, this morning we just wanted to, to give you a taste of, as Jamie said, of what it might, might look like to live in this culture. And I believe that what God is, is bringing us to is a lifestyle where these kinds of situations are everyday occurrences, where we don't go a day without taking authority over something um, when you look at the lifestyle of Jesus, this is what he did. Everywhere he went, he was making these declarations. He was healing people, um, casting out demons. He was doing this thing all the time. And I believe that that's kind of what God wants to bring us to. Um, we recognize that we're not there yet, um, but we're beginning this journey together. And I think it's exciting that we've had a word from God delivered to us personally by Muhammad Naku that this is going to happen. Um, I, I'm really excited about that. Um, and I believe that almost as Moses had that taste of, of something different as he led the people out of Egypt, they were still a long way from that kingly culture that, that God had for them, but they had a taste, they had a sense of something. And I think that all of us have probably experienced moments like me and Jamie have been describing where we've taken authority. I think we need to hang on to that taste and say, God, we want to see this um, flood our lives. We want this to be something we become known for. Because one of the things Muhammad said was that we will become known for this kingly culture. Um, and I believe that God is going to make us into a people where people say there's something different about them. They have a taste of something different. Wherever they go, there's something different about the way they see situations and the way they're able to speak into them. Um, so, yeah, that's what we wanted to, to leave you with. Um, there are good things coming. Cool. <laughs> things can only get better, mate. Things can only get better. Oh, I messed up the slogan.